Hi guys, welcome back to episode 53. It's It's been a while, hasn't it, Heather? Just just a scotch. Yeah. yeah. I mean, we had our reasons, like you said, I might explain now. So if you want to know, listen in now. If you don't, skip ahead maybe 20 or 30 seconds. But we had our little break because I finally found an apartment with my partner. We're moving this week, so there's been a lot of packing and planning and quitting my old job. I got sick again, very, very sick again from dealing with that place. So that threw us off as well. Um, but everything is now back on track and it means we're back. And I've honestly missed it so much. And I just want to say thank you to everyone who's still been listening while we've been away. And even from the looks of it, all the new listeners we've had, even though there's been no new episodes. So that's exciting. I'm definitely excited. I don't know about you, Heather. I, I am I am thrilled. Uh, honestly, my biggest thing is I'm thrilled that you're doing so well and you're feeling so relaxed and happy. And also we're back recording together. Thomas and I stayed in touch the whole time. So, you know, I kept, kept an ear out for him. and <laughs> He helped me out with a few <laughs> things as well. So, and then everyone, yeah, the, the, the lovely thing is coming back and seeing the listeners. Thank you so much. It really means so much to us, especially we were we were both worried, but we also knew that our, our health and our mental well-being really is the most important thing. So thank you for letting us take care of that. And we're so happy to be back. So today, I know all those weeks ago, you know, our podcast is consistently inconsistent. If you're a long time <laughs> listener, you'll know that by now. Um, we were going to do the first Emperor of Japan, but this is our first week back. We want to get back into the swing of it. So... We're going to do something like quick and easy just so we can get back into the, you know, back into the, what am I trying to say, Heather? Back into the... Back into the, to the rhythm? Back into the rhythm, yeah. I also want to quickly say I'm not sure about my sound quality today because most of my stuff's packed up. I feel like my room's more echoey than usual. So if the sound quality this week is not as good as usual, blame the packing. Like, I'm I'll sat be. in a practically empty room at this point. So today we're going to do some folk tales. I found these... They originally came from something called the Folklore Record from 1878. So these are quite old folk tales. I haven't come across them in my in my library. So the first one, Heather, is called The Bewitched Tea Kettle. Are you ready? Yes, I am super excited to hear this one. So The Bewitched Tea Kettle goes as follows. Mukashi Mukashi, a long, long time ago, the priest of a Buddhist temple at Tatebayashi in the province of Pekin found an old iron boiler amongst a lot of lumber, one of the kind of tea kettles formerly used on many great occasions. Now, unfortunately, it looked as if it had been ill-used, and it was very old and quite battered. But the priest was a thrifty man, and a lover of old-fashioned things. So he was looking to see what he could do to make use of this kettle amongst the lumber. He cleaned it up, and filling it with water, set it on the fire to boil. To his great amazement, it seemed to move, and the head, tail, and the four legs of a badger seemed to grow out of the kettle. Before he could say the ever-ready prayer of his sect, it then jumped from the fire and tried to escape. But the priest calling to his neophyte to come and aid him, they beat the badger down with brooms and caught it, and put it, sadly, into a box. Now there was a dealer in old metal in the village who was known to this priest and the neophyte was sent to bring him to the temple immediately. But nothing was said to the metal worker about the tricks of the pot. 
and when the box was opened to show the dealer, it seemed to be the same old, dirty, and rusty thing that the priest had already found and cleaned, and so the dealer would not give him any more than ten cents for it. The priest, however, after some attempts to obtain more for such a heavy kettle, closed the bargain and was glad to be rid of it. Now the dealer found it heavier to carry than he first thought, but he somehow managed to get it home. The same night, he was awoken from his sound sleep by noises that seemed to come from the corner where he had placed the kettle earlier, but they ceased when he sat up to watch. Fancying there might be a thief, he was quite cautious, and presently in place of the pot he saw a great badger dancing about in a way that astonished him, skipping from place to place and balancing itself in the strangest attitudes until the poor man was quite frightened. Early the next morning he went to visit a friend, another old metal dealer, and told him about these badger's tricks. The old man said he had once heard a tale about a child and a tea kettle that had been bewitched, and he thought that perhaps the one bought from the priest might be the very same. He advised his friend, therefore, to exhibit the kettle as a curiosity, for if the badger's goodwill and confidence could be gained, it would bring its possessor great fortune. He also advised that no prayers should be said or religious ceremony observed near the place where the tea kettle was, as such it would anger the badger and interfere with the exhibition. The dealer took his friend's advice and erecting a temporary building succeeded in getting the badger to show off his tricks to the public. When the tea kettle was placed on the stage it would not move until there was a crowded audience, then Assured that everyone had paid his entrance fee, it would gradually develop its head, limbs, and tail, and go through the funniest performances on a tightrope with umbrella, fans, and many other things, dancing and tumbling, finally disappearing suddenly, and here the old rusty kettle would be seen back on stage once more. Now because of this, the dealer became a very rich man, but he feared he had incurred the wrath of one of the Buddhist deities and he therefore made presents of money to the temples so that the priests might pray for him and avert the punishment he feared he had incurred. For by giving up a portion of his wealth, he hoped to enjoy the remainder for many years and be sure of a happy life thereafter. The priest who had sold the tea kettle was a clever man and had no difficulty in obtaining enough money to build a fine new temple. The dealer believing he was thus making the road easy for himself into the next world. There was a special place built for the tea kettle. It was canonized and named the Great Enlightened Spirit of Bumbuku, and can still be seen to this day. And there is the first folk tale for today. A strange little tale of a tea kettle that was also a badger. Now I feel that as an aside, like they have translated Tanuki here as a badger, and as we uh... know in well, as we know. Like in case the listeners don't, the Tanuki are known in folklore as tricksters, but also shapeshifters. I wish they'd kept. I wish they'd kept the Tanuki because I was wearing badger. It's like, are there badgers in Japan? I was sitting here trying mm -hmm. to think about that, but Tanuki makes more sense. I think it goes again back to these old tales. They translate it strangely, whereas these days we don't translate Tanuki because. We associate that word as being a specific type of creature that lives in Japan. But in the mm. olden days, they translated things differently so people could probably understand better 
Like Western people would understand a badger better than a tanuki if they read the text. Something I ran into when I was teaching at schools is I would often get people asking like, oh, what does this word mean in English? Like, oh, well, quite a few words, Japanese words are known in America. So we use like you know, edamame and sushi and like even like onigiri, I think is becoming mm. more standard to use rather than rice ball. So a lot of words, I think back in back in the day, they did translate to English, but now the proper words, the proper names are being used instead of the translation. And the students were, and the teachers were, were quite interested like really you use like the japanese word i'm like yeah it's really cool it's amazing to actually use you know the right word instead of translating it because then no you don't know what it is <laughs> when you come here and you say oh do you have this what's that i had similar things when i was at school like mm -hmm. they would often ask like oh what is this in english and it's like no we use the same word even like kanji they were like mm -hmm. oh kanji in english is chinese character i was like that's technically correct but in England, we would just say kanji because everyone understands now what kanji means. Hmm. So yeah, it's very interesting. I love how language changes over time. I'm very bad at learning languages, <laughs> but I still find it interesting how they change. Absolutely. That, that's especially even English. My concept of English has changed since coming here and meeting so many different people from like other countries who use either English as a first language or a second or a third language. Yeah. My understanding of English has, has changed and evolved. And I just, I love how it's become this, this beautiful, it's this living thing that does change and we adapt to it and some faster than others, but it's true. And even well, Japanese has, has evolved as well. Words and even form has changed in the past, you know, the last, what, 50, 50 years, especially because with the evolution of the internet and social media, words and things change. I think it's changed even faster. It feels like. Yeah, definitely. But you like the tale then. <laughs> we got into talking about language and yes, I love the story. The story was, was, it was cute. I wasn't expecting it to be. Yeah, it was so strangely cute. cute. Normally in, in stories like that, you always feel there'll be a bad outcome for the supernatural creature. But actually, this one was allowed to carry on its quirky life. It's just someone made money off him. But yeah, he wasn't like beaten or enslaved or anything. He was just left to do his thing, which I quite like. I'm really curious, though, about the tightrope and the umbrella and fan that sounds very much like circus entertainment i do wonder again if that was slightly changed from the original to fit mm. the idea of circus in the western world mm. be something to look into thank you cute story right. cute find so very quickly then folktale number two for today and then i suppose you do have a poem for us don't you I do. I have. I have an interesting. I have an interesting way to do it. So, but let's hear your tale. I'm, I want to hear this okay. one. Okay. So the next one is called the Sparrow's Wedding. In the days of old, so mukashi mukashi, there lived in the forest at the back of an old shrine, not far from the path, a sparrow called Chiyosuke. Now he had been for a long time looking for a suitable wife for his eldest boy, Chiyotaro. Being anxious that he should settle down and become more steady and industrious. As usual, he had formally arranged with a neighbor a match between his daughter and Chiotaro. But the girl had died, and the boy was now, as his father thought, 
quite free. Such was not the case, however, because one day when Chiotaro went to visit the shrine of his tutelary saint, he met the daughter of Suzuyemon and was such charmed by her pretty face and modest ways that he fell in love with her directly and suddenly decided that he would have her or none as his future wife. When he went home, he took the first opportunity to confide his wish to his mother, and so she promised to help him. Chiyosuke was sorry his son had not made a grander match, but as there was nothing to be said against the character of Osuzu and her family, he, with a little coaxing, consented. The next thing to be done was to find some elderly woman who was intimate with both families and a good matchmaker to act as a go-between in such cases, and who are smart and clever in finding out everyone's business. <laughs> now, there is rarely much trouble in finding out such a one, for, if they manage well, they are sure to receive nice presents from all parties, and they generally try hard to earn them. Dressing herself in her best clothes, and asking that one of Chiyosuke's maidservant might attend upon her to make a little more show, the matchmaker paid a visit to Osuzu's family. The good folk guessed the object of the visit to be an offer of marriage for their daughter, but as they were duty-bound and according to old customs, they cleverly avoided appearing to know it and evaded every attempt to bring about the subject in their talk. After many pipes of tobacco had been whiffed and many cups of tea sipped, they at length admitted that Osuzu was not as yet betrothed, but they were in no hurry. There was plenty of time, and her pretty face and cleverness would get her a rich husband eventually. The matchmaker hinted that Chiyosuke's son would be a very good match for them. He was rich, handsome, and clever, not any worse than any of the other young men. She pressed her point and finally obtained the consent of Osuzu's friends to return to Chiyosuke and arrange for a formal meeting of the two families. Elated with her success, she commenced in earnest, and the result was that in a few days the middlemen or witnesses were appointed. The bridal gifts were chosen by the bridegroom, amongst other things a beautiful girdle, a bunch of white fibre, fish, and wine. In return, the bride's family sent him a complete dress for the ceremony. They also sent him wine, and on the day of the wedding her bridal outfit would be sent to her future home. A lucky day was now chosen for Osuzu to leave her home, to go to her future one. Chiyotaro's friends and neighbours met at his house on the evening of the happy day with their paper lanterns, which they lighted to go to meet the bride and her friends. When the chair in which Osuzu was carried arrived at her new home, she was lifted out of it and carried into the house with a great fuss, for it was not lucky to allow the bride to walk in for the first time lest she should touch with her feet certain places, and that would be a very bad omen. She was first taken to the Buddha shelf, the family shrine, and the shelf of the gods, as well as other places, to kneel before them and pray to be admitted into the family, and for prosperity to her new home. She, at the time, still wearing her beautiful new silk dress and the veil of floss silk over her head. This is very much a Western wedding, I feel, reading this one. Then she was led to her best room, where a grand feast was spread out and seated beside Chiotaro. They drank wine from the same cup, whilst the friends clapped their hands and congratulated them. She was then led to a side room, and her robes were changed for a beautiful bright-coloured crepe dress and a gold brocade girdle. 
During the feast, her robes were changed several times to exhibit to admiring friends the extent of her wardrobe, and by the time daylight was dawning, everyone had feasted so heartily that they were now all asleep. This was said to be the grandest wedding known in the forest for many long years. Chiyotaro was a good, kind husband, and he and Osuzu were happy and prospered, living to a good old age. And that is the story of the Sparrow's Wedding. Now, like I said, when I kind of intruded into the story, it's, they very much changed the style of the Japanese wedding to fit the idea of a Western one here with the veil and the girdles and the dresses. Yeah, I think the, I'm wondering if the veil is referring to, I know there's like this kind of white sort of hat that um, covers uh, the bride's, mm. bride's hair and head. And also I was told that that hat is supposed to hide the horns, which is traditionally why it's worn so that the husband doesn't see the horns until after they get married, which I'm not, uh, we'll talk about wet Japanese weddings at another point, <laughs> but that was an interesting. That would be very interesting to talk about. Yeah, I I have opinions. <laughs> anyway, well, her name was uh, Susume. Oh, uh, Suzu. Oh, Suzu. Oh, so so yeah, I was wondering like why Sparrow's wedding, but Sparrow in Japanese is Suzume, so her name is similar, I guess, to Sparrow. But I was reading this, and towards the end, I was like, why is it called the Sparrow's wedding? I was like, yes, Suzu is the name, but also when we did start the story, it did say that in the forest lived a sparrow mm. called Chiyosuke. So. In a oh. weird, have you, have you ever read the Red Wall books? In oh, yes. Youth? Yes, I it's, love them. It's kind of like that. This is literally a story of animals, but it's strange. You've got to imagine the animals wearing clothing. Like, these aren't actually humans in the story. It specifically says that these are birds that live in the forest. Hmm. So it's quite different to the stories we've read before. Like, normally hmm. the creatures turn into humans and wear clothes but in this one it's very much implying that they are still birds flying around the forest but they also dress in little human outfits feel like i have seen a children's book like a japanese children's book that is similar i don't know if it's the same story but i believe i've seen it before and i can't place where i've seen it but it described like the the japanese wedding ceremony because the the, the ceremony now is has more elements of Western and Japanese Buddha, Buddha, Buddhism, Shinto type elements. So it's a very interesting right. style and it's not, it has like some traditional elements, but it's, it's definitely modern. So the previous like Japanese weddings were this, like they lasted several days. I think they just ate, they, I, that, that whole being carried across the floor, so not touching anything. I'm really interested in that. Like, why? I wonder why. And if that was like a traditional idea or if it was kind of more modern. It's not that way now that I know of. Yeah. But I do like this story because especially when you, you know, talk about like it's coming from the perspective of animals. I think that's really adorable, but also gives a kind of a glimpse into like some of Japanese culture. Yeah, I think so. I like that. That's a, that's a neat find. I definitely like that one because it is quite different to what we've seen before. Mm. It's not not a lot of action going on. <laughs> no, it wasn't an action-heavy one. It was just a simple tale about how a bird married the other bird that he fell in love with. So it's quite cute in a way. It feels like a nighttime story. Like you would tell this to your children, like you're tucking them into bed at night and like, here, let's read the story yeah. about Sparrow. He's getting married. 
it's very soothing. Hmm. Well, there you go. That's my two stories for today. As we get back into the swing of things. So handing over to you then, Heather, what do you have for me today? Well, for me and the listeners today. Well, I... I'm going to mix things up a little bit because we're getting back into the swing of things. And honestly, for me too, trying to get my mind back into to recording has been really interesting. So I wanted to stick with the sinew book, but I didn't pick a sinew today. I want you to pick it. I'm just going to give you page numbers. And then I'm going to give you like the number between like one and three, because sometimes there's two to three sinew on a page and that's the one i'm going to pick okay so a little bit kind of creative way to pick a sinew so i don't know what i'm reading you don't know what i'm reading but you're going to tell me okay is that all right that sounds good to me okay so between 59 and 230 please pick a page number 87 87 okay one two or three let's go with the first one okay Okay, this is this is going to be interesting. Okay, ready? Yes. Seisho ni shiranu ji no aru oya no kao. Shiranu. Is that like to in like to understand or to know? Yes. Okay. So this is about knowing something. Mm-hmm. Um, kao. Kao is jaw, isn't it? Oh no, the face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So knowing something about someone's face. And I bet you know this word, Oya. I do, but it escapes me right now and it's annoying me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, I, I'll give you the translation and you'll you'll know this word when I, I say it. In the fair copy, there is a character he doesn't know, the father's face. So the description of this, the boy is showing the father his fair copy, which I believe is um, like Japanese students will practice kanji on these really thin pieces of paper with uh, like the calligraphy brush and, and ink. So this really thin paper. So he, he's brought home, I guess it's called a fair copy. That's how they've translated it. And the father is reading it aloud. Suddenly he comes to a Chinese character, which he can't read. And the expression on his face changes. So it's very much a, although it doesn't, it doesn't really say what the face changes to, whether it's misunderstanding or confusion or disappointment because he he wrote the kanji wrong so i guess you could in this poem is left to your own interpretation of what emotion the father is showing so i guess the poem would reflect more on your mindset which is quite interesting i was kind of thinking too it could be interpreted that the father like he doesn't know this kanji so or he's forgotten it because mm. i know i know this has happened to the professor before where he was writing something he's like oh i forgot that kanji let's look it up real quick and that happens so many times so many japanese people forget the kanji especially because you're using cell phones now and you're not writing them and, and when you yeah. learn kanji as a student some of them you don't you generally don't use so much in everyday life. So it's super easy to forget them. So perhaps he did learn it in his time as a student, but then he totally forgot. Oh, I forgot this kanji or, oh, wait, I wasn't paying attention in school that day. I like that interpretation as well. Gives it a little more humorous kind of twist there. <laughs> it does. Well, thank you for the poem today. I, I like being able to randomly choose it. Oh, yay. Good. I was, I was... <laughs> I came up with this idea. I was like, I could look for something, but 
No, there is it's so hard to choose because there's so many different ones. And there's some of them I, I probably wouldn't choose. So for, for someone else to take that away from me is, is sometimes a relief. <laughs> I see. Fair enough. And we touch on a lot of like Japanese culture that we might not otherwise. And I was kind of hoping we'd get one with a wedding to match up with the, the Sparrow's wedding, but... That was, a, that was a long shot. Yeah, that was a long shot. That was a long shot. But thank you for the poem, and I'm so glad we're back doing this again properly. Yay! Me too, me too. Is it time to sign out then? Oh gosh, I guess so. All good things must come to an end. Well guys, thank you for tuning in this week, and thank you for waiting patiently for us. Let's do the socials on the website, even though because I have been sick and very busy, they have been asleep all this time, but I suppose it's time to wake them up again. So if you, the show notes will be up on the website at Japan Archives Podcast. I don't remember either. So yeah, if you want to find the show notes, you can find those up on japanarchivespodcast.com. I'll probably aim to get those up the start of next week as I need to finish moving this week. Um, if you want to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, that's at Japan Archives. And if you want to see a few of the places I've explored in Japan, you can follow my Instagram at nexus underscore travels, N-E-X-U-S underscore travels. Uh, I think that's everything for me, though, for this week. Next week will be the first emperor. Don't you worry. We have the research. But yeah, that's everything for me. What about you, Heather? I don't know if there's anything I should say in particular. Should I say anything in particular? Good say goodbye. Thomas, I think what you said was perfect. So I'm just going to say thank you so much for tuning in, everyone. And we are looking forward to giving you another podcast next week. We have our fingers crossed, our arms crossed, every ice, ice, I can't cross my eyes. But we're going to do our best to get you, come back to you guys next week. <laughs> All right, guys. Thanks again for tuning in. And we'll see you next week. Matane. Mina san, kyotsukete. Matane.